Oh, thank you for that. I was I had in my notes to to say uh, this morning. First of all, to say happy anniversary to my wife. My love, she's the the best thing in my life um, on this earth, and we are still after. 23 years of marriage today. We are still best friends and still actually like being around each other. And, and um, so happy anniversary. I love you, babe. And uh, yeah, and uh, so she's the best. She's the best. I wouldn't be here without her. Um, I also want you to know that I wasn't supposed to be here today. A couple of you know that, but I was supposed to be out of town with my wife today. And so a couple things. Uh, one is I did not prepare to preach I wasn't supposed to be here to preach today. We were supposed to have a guest speaker today, and Denise and I were going to go to Ocean City. Uh, but we both, throughout the week, having discussed it together, uh, thought, you know, it's more important for us to be here with you uh, right now than it is for us to go away. And so we wanted to be here with our church family. And I wanted to be here and just be able to talk to you a little bit about uh, the decisions that we're making, give you a little bit of encouragement, uh, give you maybe a little bit of a bit of a preview about what's coming for us as a church. So um, I'm going to do that, but before we do that, I want you to turn your Bibles, if you have them, to 2 Kings chapter 6. And while you're turning there, let me also say that uh, Princess Pillowcase Ministry and Operation Christmas Child have become two of my favorite things about our church. And uh, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I really, I really genuinely love them. And this is not me just trying to puff something up. I really, really love both of these ministries because both of them give us an opportunity throughout every week and month of the year to be involved in something that's going to impact people all around the world with being able to hear the good news about Jesus. So uh, when we travel and we go on mission trips and we go to West Africa or we go to the Caribbean region or any of those things that we do, um, those are our short-term sort of high-impact things that we do as a church, but then we leave. And we do have partners there that continue on the ministry, but I love that for us as a church, this is something that we can do every week of the year, just throughout the year, and it has great, great impact. So uh, continue to, to prayerfully support those things and support with your time and your effort as well. Second um, Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 8, I'm not going to give you a whole lot of context because I think you can catch the drift of the context just from these opening couple of verses. It says, Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. So in other words, I'm going to go to this different place, and this is where I will, I will ambush Israel. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? So you get what's going on here? He says, Who's leaking information to the king? Who of us is for the king of Israel? Verse 12. And one of his servants says, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go then and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. 
So he went and sent horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now, just understand what's going on. You know, the king discovers it's Elisha who's, who's giving the information. He says, well, I can't deal with Israel until I deal with him. So I'm going to go take him out. And after I take him out, then I'll be able to go battle against Israel and defeat them. Verse 15 says, so when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out. I love this, this scene here. Just imagine being Elisha's servant, Elisha's servant getting up in the morning, maybe going to draw water. And behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And can you imagine the servant right now in this moment? Looking around. You got a mouse in your pocket. You know, he's like, what are you talking about? There's nobody here. And then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. Elisha. Now, I'm not going to preach on the passage, but let me just say this. I read this to you, and there's so many places I could have read from this morning to get the same point across, but I love the imagery of this uh, because here's, they're in a situation where they really don't see uh, the victory. They don't see the, 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 the end coming right off the bat. And and, you know, I, I think it's important here as well to know that, that even when we feel surrounded by something, whether it's illness or whatever obstacle you're facing in life, whatever trouble you're facing in life, when you feel surrounded, you need to remember that God has also surrounded you. Remember that. We need to remember that as a church and as God's people. And I'm not telling you, by the way, that, uh, that because God has surrounded you that you won't become sick from a virus, I'm not telling you that because God has surrounded you, your life won't be disrupted. But what I am telling you is that God is bigger than the things that we see around us. And so we need to remember those things, that God is present. Nick read it earlier. God is present in times of trouble. And so I just want to encourage you with those words. And then sort of segue from that to a question, which would be, the question that a lot of people are asking about churches and, and uh, Christians in general. Uh, so, so why then, uh, if we believe that God is with us and God's bigger, why then are we going to cancel our services for the next two weeks? I mean, what's the point? Don't we believe that God's bigger than this virus? And so let me answer that question for all of you who are here today and for any who's going to listen on the uh, podcast. Let me answer and uh, y'all forgive me this morning for looking down more than usual and not looking at you, uh, but I have to do my best to remember what I wanted to say, and so I'm going to just look at it and read most of it. And, and first of all, why, why cancel service if we believe God's bigger than this virus? One is because uh, believing that God is bigger than all things and sovereign over all things, which I do believe, I absolutely believe, does not nullify the truth that we live in a creation that's cursed by sin. And part of the curse is the presence of disease and disaster 
And we know that living under the curse means that we are susceptible to those things, whether we are Christians or not. Let me make that clear. You and I suffer under the weight and consequences of the curse, including the weight and consequences of disease and disaster, just like people who are non-Christians. It affects all of us. And so the threat of contracting the virus, the coronavirus or COVID-19, is a real threat. It's a real threat. Now, on the heels of that, the next question that might come is, well, don't we know that the threat isn't very high for most of us, to, that this would actually impact our lives uh, a great deal? We probably would just, if you do show symptoms, you'll probably get sick, have the symptoms like a cold, and recover, and move on. Our children don't seem to be at very high risk to even show symptoms. So why, if we know that it's not very dangerous in that respect, why are we even worried about it? We do know that the vast majority of people, we're being told, who contract the virus will show very mild symptoms or no symptoms at all, and they'll recover. I mean, the vast majority, maybe over 80% of people who contract it will, will, will respond to it that way. So the, the vast majority of us will have no lasting effects. But there are some who will contract the virus and will absolutely become very sick. You just listen to what I'm about to say. There, there are some who will contract this virus and who absolutely will not survive it. That's going to happen. More people will contract the virus and more people will become very, very sick. More, more lungs will be damaged. More people will die from this virus. And that's a very important thing because some of the people that are susceptible to those types of things, to those types of reactions and outcomes, are people who are elderly. There are people who have underlying conditions. People who have compromised immune systems. And so the, for these people... And follow with me here, this is so important. For these people, for whom the, the threat is very real, we need to take this seriously for them. That the threat is serious for people living all around us, and some of them are our fellow church members. There are people in our church who are at high risk to terrible outcomes if they contract the coronavirus. There are some of our parents and grandparents, we called Denise's dad yesterday and said, if you show up to church, we're hog tying you and, and putting you in the house. You're not allowed to come because he has multiple health issues, but he also has a, a, a chronic lung condition he's had for about 15 years as well. That You may not even know that, but he's at risk. And we've, we've told him, so your parents, your grandparents, our coworkers, many of these type of people are neighbors living in our neighborhood. And so I think this is very simple. I think this is very simple for us. Matthew 22. Teacher, which of these is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I'll just say this as clearly as I can, we cannot love our neighbors well if we show no concern for their well-being. You understand that? You may not feel threatened. I don't particularly feel threatened by the virus. 
I'm not concerned for my children in this virus, other than I don't want my kids to be sick with anything. But I'm not concerned that it would be fatal or life-changing for them. I'm not concerned in my own household. But I cannot claim to love my neighbor the way that Jesus instructs me to and the way the Gospels teach me to if my actions as an individual or as the leader of this church put my neighbors in danger. You understand what I'm saying? This is a bigger thing than just whether or not you feel comfortable or I feel comfortable. Whether or not we feel like this is blown out of proportion or not, it's still a, a real thing. And let me give you a little example of this that, that really has just bugged me since about 9 o'clock last night. I mean, just really has been bugging me a great deal. And that's it. We, we left uh, the youth event last night. Had a wonderful time with the youth last night. And we left there, and Denise and I stopped at the grocery store. Her and Caitlin needed to pick up a couple things. And while they were in, I got on my phone, and, and I just look up a coronavirus update. I don't watch the news at home, so I have to just get on my phone and look and see what's going on. So um, I look, I, uh, the first thing that comes up, one of the first things that comes up is uh, this article from a coronavirus survivor um, tells us to calm down, something like that. And, um, and essentially, the story was from someone who had contracted coronavirus, been tested for coronavirus, and was saying, look, I've been through this. Not so bad. Everybody needs to calm down. Everybody needs to stop panicking. Uh, that, that's not, not be hysterical about this thing. And there's some of that that's true. But then the next article I read was about the first death in Virginia yesterday of a 70-year-old man who died of respiratory failure after contracting coronavirus. And you know what I thought about? I thought it's unfair for those of us who can survive this and show little effect from it to tell people to calm down because there's plenty of people who can't survive. I just think that's unfair. I don't think that's right for us to say, hey, no, this is not a big deal because for him and his family today, it's a big deal. For other people who are in critical condition and people who will die all across the world today, for their families, this is a big deal. And so we need to be careful, especially as Christians who are told to love our neighbors, we need to be careful about saying this is not a big deal. It is a big deal. And let's not be cold-hearted and pretend that it's not for those people who are suffering and dying right now. So we need to love our neighbors by being responsible members of our community. And doing all that we can to keep the vulnerable among us safe in a time like this of uncertainty and crisis. And that's the primary reason we've decided to observe a closure for two weeks. That's the, not because I think that we're going to get sick and die and none of that. But we have a responsibility to be part of a larger community, to love our neighbors the way that Jesus would love them, and do everything in our power to minimize the risk for those who are vulnerable and those who may be at risk to possibly die from this. I don't want to be part of anything that leads to a single death of anybody who didn't have to die otherwise. And so for our church, that's why I'm leading us to, to observe the two-week closure that the schools are observing. And then at the end of that two weeks, as we approach that two weeks, we'll see what's going on. We may break from the school system and from the state and we may say, we feel comfortable enough after getting some more information that we'll meet again. 
we may get to the end of that time and we may decide that we're not going to meet until this thing changes again. We may set another two-week closure, in effect. We don't know. But the point is, for now, we're taking our cues from the community around us. We're going to close up for the better of our community for two weeks. So if you haven't figured out what that means, that just means that all on-site activities, all church-sanctioned gatherings uh, for the next two weeks are shut down. And then there's a couple of things I want to share with you today, just as we uh, close up, just a couple of other things. One, and, and let me just stop, this is a small enough group, uh, I, I think I can ask and get an affirmative from everybody, do you understand then, now, do we all understand at least why? You don't have to agree with me, but do you understand why? Or, okay. A couple of other things then I want to share with you today. One, I want to encourage you to pray to really pray, like to genuinely pray for those who are leading us and those who are treating this virus, for all of our leaders. You know that the president declared today a national day of prayer, and uh, that uh, whether or not it was declared or not, I think that's good that he did that. I think he's good that he brought that to our attention. And no matter how you feel about our president, I think that this is something that we can all agree we should do. We should pray for those who are leading us, all the people who are leading us, no matter what mistakes we feel like they're making, no matter what decisions they make we don't agree with, just understand they have the weight of of millions and millions of people on their shoulders. We should pray for them diligently that God gives them wisdom. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And those who are treating the virus, I want to encourage you to pray for them. Doctors, nurses, medical profession, researchers, anybody who's involved in the treatment of this virus, we should be praying for them. And we're going to do that together before we leave today, just a few minutes. Um, also, and I'll get more information out about this to the church, but we need to be faithful with our giving as a church. Um, anytime we have a closure, we lose a significant amount of our tithe, and that's not an insignificant thing. I mean, we just need to be faithful with our tithe. You can mail it in. You can ask him uh, this morning about setting it up automatically to be deducted. And uh, I know that may sound like an issue that, that seems pretty Uh, non-spiritual, but it's not. It really does affect the ministry of the church, and so I want to encourage you to be faithful with your giving through this time, and we'll be encouraging the whole church to do that. We have, as a stewardship team, set some things in place, sort of activated some fail-safes where we know if we're getting into a place where we need to preserve some uh, surplus, we can do that, and so we have uh, done some things, made some decisions that will help us to weather a financial storm, and we also don't know what's going to happen as the months uh, carry on from this. Economically, our entire economy could be somewhat um, taken down the tubes because of this, and that will affect us as well. So we're trying to trying to uh, protect ourselves from those things as a church. But part of that just begins with us being faithful. Just realize that we can be faithful. And then another thing I want to share is that This is a time where really we as a church and as individuals need to embrace the opportunity this virus gives us, this outbreak gives us, uh, to reach new people with the good news of the gospel. I mean, you have an open door set in front of you right now that you may never see again, where people are looking for hope, they're uncertain, they're probably more than willing to talk to you, if nothing else they probably will entertain a discussion with you about how your church is handling this. 
which may lead to a broader discussion. But take every opportunity you can to use this, uh, this virus, this outbreak, and talk to people about what real hope is, what it means to love your neighbor. Uh, you know, not just that my church closed for two weeks, but that my church closed for two weeks because we want to love our neighbors well, because that's what Jesus taught us to do, and, and talk to them about Jesus. But use this as an opportunity. We're going to use it as an opportunity as a church, one of the things that I'm beginning to embrace about all of this is that this is giving us, uh, pushing us into some things that we probably should be doing anyway that we don't do. Um, like having a, a, a place, a presence online where people can actually experience worship on Sundays if they're in our community and, and, uh, or if they're traveling or if they're housebound or if they're in the hospital Whatever. So we're going to be, hopefully, by next Sunday, y'all can pray for me this week that we get everything done that we need to get done. Uh, it's not a super simple process, but uh, we should, hopefully, this week, by Sunday, be able to stream a church service next Sunday for all of you and for our community and for whoever else across the world wants to, wants to log in and watch. That's an opportunity that won't stop, by the way, when we start meeting again. So I think that's a tremendous thing that, that's going to come out of this. And there are other things as well that as a church we're addressing that will help us to be more effective in our community as this thing passes. And that's the final thing that I want to say is that this will pass. I mean, this absolutely will pass. And God will still be on his throne when it does. It, it will pass one way or the other. Now, life is a vapor for all of us. It's just a different size vapor, but for all of us, it's a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow, we'll be present with our Lord soon enough. This thing will pass. 